All right, well, we Welcome uh, to Celebration have Church's been tracking podcast. along about this past Resurrection you know Sunday on Easter. We more. kicked off to learn more about Celebration a new series Church, that we just called Good Fight and celebrate the truth that Jesus won the good fight. We get the benefits of it, and he won the battle. But in that, in the fact that Jesus won the good fight, there's still a space for us to be able to in fully engage with that and what the scriptures we're about to look at, um, living out and walking out the good fight of faith. And so since Jesus has won the battle, what does it mean for us to be able to walk this out and walk in an awareness of what he has accomplished? So if, you, if you've got your bulletin, if, you, if you've got your little version app rocking and rolling, your Bible app, um, let's go ahead and we've led off with this idea that no one has ever thought for you like Jesus. Nobody, nobody. We all want people in our corner. We want people who will go to bat for us, people who will have our back. And, and there's nothing that hurts worse than when something happens and there's somebody you expected to have your back doesn't. Man, it is that kind of disappointment. It's just, ah, it's, it just cuts so deep. And so I hope that you have people in your life that are on your side and people who would go to bat for you. I hope that you do. But in that, if you do, those people are people you're tight with. And Jesus, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we didn't care, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that shows up no, in no greater moment than what we're about to look at in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And it says, and here Jesus is nailed to a cross. He's being heckled and ridiculed and attacked over and over again. And Jesus says this, he cries out and he prays. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, these people aren't drunk they're not high. They're, they're not sitting there. And, and if you'd asked them, do you know what you're doing? They would have said, yes, uh, we're executing Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're executing this man. Some of them may not even known his name, but they would have said, yeah, I'm doing it. The Roman soldiers driving the nails in said, yes, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing my job. Um, the people who were heckling him said, yes, this guy, he, he said he was equivalent to God. He said he was the son of God. They would have said they knew what they were doing, but Jesus understood on a spiritual level. He saw it from heaven's perspective, and they had no idea what they were doing. We talked last week about making sure that we have heaven's perspective on the happenings of earth because otherwise we're going to get sucked into the whirlwind of earth. But Jesus understood what was happening on a real level. And he's like, these people think they know what they're doing, but they don't get it. They don't even understand. Father, forgive them. They needed forgiveness. They needed forgiveness. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he prays that. And the people who are right there close to hear what he has to say, they don't pause they don't all of a sudden change their ways. They don't all of a sudden recognize, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm acting this way. Now, look at what it says. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
he says he is crying out. He is crying out for their forgiveness. And they're playing games with his possessions as the prize. Just playing games with his forgiveness, with him choosing. I'm telling you, no one has ever fought for you like Jesus. When you were just living life, just playing your games, just doing your stuff, just seeing what you could gather for yourself, Jesus has been your advocate. Jesus has been on your side all along. When you didn't recognize what was going on, when you were seeing it from Earth's perspective and you had no idea what, was, what God was really trying to get done in your life, Jesus was on your side all the way, and he demonstrated it in opening his mouth. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And see, this good fight... The good fight of faith requires us staying focused on God's plan and his heart. Even when life is at its worst. When life is at its worst, when it is at its absolute nastiest, we have to stay focused. And Jesus showed as he is being ridiculed and heckled and nailed to a cross, had been beaten, he stayed focused on what, was, what God's heart was, which was forgiveness and restoration and salvation in the middle of his ugliest moment. See, we've been referencing over and over again 1 Timothy 6.12. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Jesus won the battle. Jesus knew what was really going on. Jesus stayed the course, fought for forgiveness, bought forgiveness. It is freely ours. He, he has won the battle. He won the good fight. But our good fight, the good fight of faith, is to stay focused and receive what he's done. And it began with our good confession of faith. And fighting this good fight is part of that is carrying forward this good confession of faith. When we opened our mouth and decreed what Jesus had accomplished, you are a savior, you are Lord, you are forgiver, and I receive that. That was some version of that. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a child of God, if you are, have been, what the scriptures say, have been born fresh, born new, then at some point you made your good confession of faith. And fighting the good fight of faith began with our good confession of faith. But it doesn't, our good confession doesn't stop there. We continue to fight by opening our mouths. Our good fight of faith gets reflected with our mouths. See, remember that we've talked over and again throughout this series that Jesus reminded us, in him we would have peace, but in this world we'll have trouble. Take heart because he's overcome the world. The trouble that happens, it comes after our heart. It comes after our heart. It wants to rock our heart. That So when trouble comes, the scriptures gave us heads up, trouble's gonna come, it's gonna happen, but don't let it affect your heart because our words are powerful and we should be using them to bring, uh, <clears throat> to bring a life. We should be using them 
to bring life because our words matter. And we've talked throughout this series about the, the impact of, of just this good fight of faith on relationships. Remember, this, the whole thing with God is boiled down to two things, loving God and loving others. Well, both of those things get our, is where the good fight of faith is, is lived out. It's taking hold of and, and walking in a loving relationship with God and then walking in a loving relationship with one another. And how we speak and how we talk is gonna, it's gonna show up and it's gonna impact those relationships. And you've seen it. You've seen it in the relations you've, you've had, whether it's friendships or marriages. And in fact, there's been lots and lots of studies that have been done on the effects of our words and marriage. But here's one of the things that is pretty remarkable. There was a study done years ago. It was this long study, and it, and it was connected with um, hundreds of couples, uh, married couples, over their first decade of marriage. And so they watched them for, the dec- for a decade, and then they checked in with them periodically to see how they were going to do. Um, you know, lots of us would hope, you know, that if you've made it through 10 years of marriage that you're probably going to go the distance, but that's not always the case. And so, and then after this study had been done, they found that there was something that could indicate whether or not a couple was going to be able to go the distance with their marriage. And it wasn't the stuff that the researchers had kind of thought it was going to be of how often they fought or how much they felt in love with one another, how if they were to self-assess and say, yes, we're very in love or, or mostly in love or fill out all of this different stuff. It wasn't the stuff that researchers thought was going to be the indicator. In fact, the indicator was super, super hard to determine. It was because the, the difference between the couples that went the distance and the couples that eventually split up. Early on, they looked very, very similar in the determining factor. And the determining factor in this study was the way they spoke to one another. And they began to look and see out of a hundred comments that they made and just talking about stuff. You could have talked, been talking about the meal, could have been talking about what you want to watch on TV. You're going to watch, just talk about the kids, talk about life, all this kind of stuff. Out of 100 comments, the couples that went the distance, there were five demeaning or insulting things said out of every 100 so there's a hundred comments, a hundred things, five things were said that were insulting. There were, out of the couples that didn't make it, out of every 100, we would think that it would be 70 out of 100. They were so mean to one another all the time. Okay, well, maybe half of it, 50. And maybe 30 out of 100, a third of the time. And of course, they didn't stay together over the long haul, they're, they're a third of the things that come out of their mouths are, are hurtful. The study showed that it, it, was, it was 10. It was 10 out of 100. The couples that made the distance, it was 5 out of 100. The couples that didn't, it was 10 out of 100. We're like, 
I said 90 non-hurtful things. And then it's because I said, these, I said these extra hurtful things, that was it. It was the problem was is that there was a space. The difference between the five and the 10, those, that five extra over the long period of time began to be the defining factor. And as they checked in with them at, towards the end of their, their marriage, they were, at, they were saying like five times as many hurtful things as the couples that stayed together. Their tones reflected, their word choices reflected what was going on. Now, of course, we didn't all of a sudden crack the code and go, okay, well, now I just need to keep up. And as long as I don't say five out of 100, I'm okay. Like, okay, well, I've used my capacity for the day. I better say another 20-something, just talk about the weather because that gives me one in my pocket. I can throw a zinger and it's not going to make our, <laughs> no, it's not, you haven't cracked the code and, and you kind of keep track and figure out, okay, yeah, I've still got, I've got two hurtful things I can say before we go to bed, you know, and so I, I can just go ahead and just, just talk about that thing that's annoying me and I just let you have it real good. We'll be okay. I only said five today. And so um, that's not the point. The point is the fact that here's the thing is the, the mark isn't necessarily found in that we never hurt one another's feelings. It's that obviously the couples who stayed together, that they were being more guarded with their words than the other. It wasn't that they were perfect. They were just more guarded and our relationships, we don't all of a sudden have to be perfect and never say anything a little caustic or something that, that, that maybe gets, gets caught the wrong way. But if we would just be mindful to just, let me just dial this back. Let me just dial this back a little bit. What would that do to our relationships? What would that do to our friendships? What would that do in our marriages? Not that we have to walk this line perfectly and never, never hurt one another, but if we'll just dial it back, if we'll just be mindful, if we can just pull this thing back, it can be the difference between a marriage that is able to thrive and a marriage that is not a friendship that's able to thrive and a friendship that's not. Extended family relationships that are able to thrive and extended relationships that can't. Our words, our words are powerful. Our words absolutely matter. and We have to be aware of those things and it's because of what's coming out of our heart. That is the thing. It's not even so much about the, the, the words, it is about the heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 tells us this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The reason that Jesus could say, in his worst moment, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do is because Jesus' heart was full of forgiveness. His heart was full of forgiveness. So he could easily say, Father, forgive them. In the worst moment of his life, he's able to say it because his heart was full of it. And so we need to be mindful of that. We need to be aware of that, that it is about the heart less than the words, okay? We've all seen an experience where 
The heart makes all the difference. Somebody tells you that you look great, and one person says, oh, you look great today. You could tell they mean it. Somebody else says, you look great today. Exact same words. If you pull out a dictionary, you're like, that was a compliment, but you know this person. You're like, no, that was not a compliment. It's a reflection of the heart. See, religion tends to try to focus on using nice words and avoiding the naughty words. But when it's all said and done, it's about the heart. You know what? You can cut someone to the bone and destroy them and never use a four-letter word. You can just absolutely just destroy somebody and never, never use a word that needs to be bleeped. But, you know, we all have that family member who when something goes good, man, they're so happy and you don't want any of your Christian friends around them because they're complimenting you. You're like, man, that was bleep, 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 bleep. You just bleeped the bleep out of that. Man, I love you so much. And you're like, yeah, thank you, uncle. <laughs> and so, but and it, was, it, was, it was rough and it was coarse, but the heart was excited for you. The heart was excited for you. I guarantee, you know what? We should be able to, to express joy without having to have it's caustic words. I'm not saying that that's okay. What I'm saying is the heart is the thing that's most important. I learned this early as a dad. Um, so uh, one morning, Keenan was about three years old, two and a half, three years old. And it was one Saturday morning. And uh, I got up to make breakfast, being father of the year. And I was just doing it real hard. I was pouring some cereal. <laughs> and so, and I uh, didn't even fire up the stove. So, and uh, but I'm in, there, in the kitchen pouring some cereal and uh, getting that ready. And Keenan uh, walks out and uh, comes into the kitchen to, uh, to come and get his breakfast. And as he's coming in, I'm pouring the cereal. And, and uh, he's kind of wiping his eyes a little bit. And I said, uh, uh, good morning, Keenan. Um, well, he, we had recently watched this movie. His favorite movie was the movie Homeward Bound. So Homeward Bound was a Disney movie, rated G, came out in 1993. Keenan was born in 95. It was still pretty fresh. Had to watch it on the old VHS, you know. I had to rewind it for him over and over and over again. And he watched this. When this rated G movie, rated G, there's not any terrible, terrible stuff, but there's one little iffy comment that's made between um, the, these animals. It's about these, these talking animals. And, um, and so when this cat makes this reference to this dog um, in this early on in this movie, and Keenan just imprinted in his two and a half year old self uh, imprinted. And so all of a sudden I was like, good morning, Keenan. And he says, good morning, flat-faced butt sniffer. And so, and uh, which was the one, the one rough line out of that movie. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, like Kenan. And he, and he, but he, there was nothing mean. There was nothing ill intent. There was nothing that we had to have a, par a parenting conversation and go, uh, so, no, kid, no, that, that's, 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 that's not how, that's not how we go. That is, is not uh, a way we greet one another. I don't care what the cat said in Homeward Bound. 
And so, but there was, what he said was not great, but his heart was completely, completely pure. What we, what God wants to do is to make sure that our hearts begin to reflect the work that he is doing in our lives. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We talked about it last week that, that the sword, God's word, is our only aggressive, offensive weapon. And that if we're not actively using God's word, we're a non-combatant in our own lives. There is a battle raging. And if you are not using God's word actively, in your own life, you're, you're a non-combatant. It's happening everywhere, and you're not actively engaged in it. So we have to take up that, that helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. We have to do that, and we have to be so that we can utilize that when we need to. And that's why regularly spending time in the Scriptures, regularly um, understanding and what God has to say is so vital there was a camp we used to go to years ago, and they had a saying that was just so awesome, and they would tell those kids and those teenagers every time we went to camp and reminded them to put God's word in you when you don't feel like you're needing it so that it'll be there when you do need it. That's why we do it. So many times when we have a crisis in our lives, yes, we'll run to the scriptures. Yes, we'll run to those things. But you know when we needed that scripture? We needed that scripture before the crisis hit. We needed to understand what God had to say before the crisis showed up so that when the crisis showed up, we could respond with the word of God. That is the sword of the spirit. That is how we battle. We battle with what he has to say. Romans chapter 10 verse 8 says, but, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Paul's saying, we've preached to you, you've heard it, it's got into your heart, and now it needs to be right there in your mouth. It needs to be in your mouth. Whenever the stuff of life happens, our response should be to say what God has said. If we want to see God's will be taking place in our life and our relationships. We need to speak what God speaks. We need to say what God has said on the issue. That is how we fight the good fight of faith, that the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. See, our words, our words matter and they can be life-changing or they can be troublemaking. Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you recognize the, the, the power of it, then you'll get to the benefits of its fruit. If you understand that the, the power of life and death are in the tongue and you use it well in your relationships, you understand that you need to put God's word in you and be able to speak what God's promises whenever the trouble comes and stuff hits. I'm telling you, we have a promise that we'll be able to eat the fruit of that Proverbs also says that reckless words pierce like a sword, 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. See, as we deal with those things, and we have those hurtful words show up in our own lives and, and then in the lives of our children, you know, we try to get our kids to, to toughen up. And, and thankfully, I've not heard it in a long time, but I grew up with the saying, and some of you who are a little more mature in life have heard it as well, but, you know, someone would insult you and it was said over and over again. You know, would just respond with sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, the truth is, is words hurt. Words hurt. And we try to tell our kids and tell ourselves and tell one another that to try to toughen ourselves up. And yeah, you can run your mouth, but it won't hurt. But the truth is, it does. It does hurt. It does hurt. It crushes James chapter 3, verse 7 reminds us that all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. It should not be. Now, James is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to believers, and he's like, we praise God one minute, and then we tear one another down the next minute. It's like, we need to, we need to adjust this. We need to fix this. This is not okay. We need to do this. And notice that he, that he leads off, and he says, Nobody, no man can tame the tongue. Nobody can do it. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why? Because what is the tongue releasing? Releasing what's in our hearts. The only thing that can really change our heart is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So here's what we can do. We can be mindful, be conscious of what's coming out of our mouths. We can be purposeful with how we use our mouths. And then open God, open up whenever we're frustrated and, and see that and say, God, cleanse my heart. Get this stuff out of me. I, I, it just keeps flying out. It just keeps showing up. And Lord, I just need, I just need you to renew my heart. See, our words, they can break the cycle of destruction. 1 Peter 3, 9 and 10 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. I'll tell you what, that is just a normal response. And more so today than ever before. Because a lot of those insults come through keyboards. A lot of that stuff comes through that. We have complete strangers insulting one another through social media. Somebody makes some comment about, you know, that some place serves the best hot dog in town. And then somebody jumps on, you're an absolute idiot. Their hot dogs are trash. You're like, oh, seriously? 
we're going to attack one another over this? And, of course, you know, bigger issues than that. But it can be something stupid and something petty. And then on the other side of the keyboard, we're just sitting there and we're, we're, just, we're just attacking. And then, of course, you get insulted. And what, do you, what immediately comes back? An insult. That's immediately what an insult drops in. And, man, and it's like, bam, it hit. There's a trampoline somewhere on the inside. The insult gets so, I'm just like, whoop. That's coming right back, and I'm adding a little to that. I can do better than that. Is that all you got? Amen, and that's not the way it should be. The Scriptures tell us not to return insult for insult, but with blessing. When insults come, our scriptural response is to respond with blessing, to respond from heaven's perspective to take that destructive thing and begin to just have it dissipate and bring God's heart into the middle of that space. That was what Jesus was doing in the middle of all of the hate as he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the middle of all the hate, in the middle of all the rage, in the middle of them attacking him, he chooses to respond verbally in a different way. We're not to respond insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Inheritance is what you get in the future. If all we do is return insult for insult, what's all that lives out in the future? more insult. That's all that lives out there. That's all that's hanging around out there. But if we have insult and we sow blessing, we sow a seed of blessing, what is down the road for us? Blessing. We, he, God wants us to be, to be climate changers, coming in and taking this caustic, destructive toxic thing of, that is our culture today and begin to respond in different life-giving ways. Verse 10 says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceptive speech. You know, other than your physical appearance, the thing that marks you as you is how you speak your accent, your tone, but also the words you choose and the emphasis that you place on them marks you as an individual. That's why your, your voice can be used as, as a security measure. Yes, something physical like the uniqueness of your, your retinas or your fingerprints or some of those things, but the way you speak identifies you as you. You can hear your best friend talking randomly one aisle over in H-E-B. There have been people talking the whole time. There have been conversations the whole time. You've not paid attention to anybody. You hear your best friend's voice one aisle over, and you're like, Joe, is that you? It's like, what's up? And you're yelling over one another, and you're like, you just immediately, immediately connect. It is an identifier of when somebody wants to have to pretend, an actor 
wants to have to do a biopic, and, and, and they don't only go through the transformation and, and get the makeup and the hair and all of that stuff right. They have to try to learn to emulate the way that person speaks, and not just the vocal tones, but where it comes from on the inside. We had a little experience with this um, last week, um, right before uh, the wedding, uh, Cutie and I had to, to, to run to Hobby Lobby. It's bad when your wife has bought out one Hobby Lobby and has to go to another town's Hobby Lobby. Um, and so, and, uh, and so, <laughs> and so, so we have to go to this, to Abilene's Hobby Lobby um, and pick up a few items um, and uh, have some lunch over there and have a little have a little fun. So we got that done, and then we're like, okay, well, we're, we're here. Um, there's some of the little stores that she likes to go to, and so we hit some of those stores, and we we're just about to head back to Angelo, and uh, I was like, hey, we still have some time. Do you, do you want to run over to these, little, to these little string of junk stores? And, um, and so that has all the, you know, the classic little stuff in it, little resale shops. And so she's like, yeah, yeah, let's go over there. So we go into this one store. We has a good relationship with the lady that owns that store. And uh, so we go into that, we go into that store and looking around and it's a pretty big, deep store. So we go through the first layer of it then we get into the second layer of this store. And as we get into it, uh, then there's some other ladies who are, you know, looking at all this stuff as well. And uh, Cutie comes she's like, do you know who that is? And I look over and there's this lady and she has her back to me and I'm like, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was like, no, I, 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 I don't know who that is. And, uh, but then right after that, the lady speaks. And I'm like, I do know who that is. And if you've ever watched the show Duck Dynasty, um, it was Miss Kay from Duck Dynasty. And she was at a junk store in Abilene with her daughter-in-law, uh, Jessica Robertson, and a friend. And they were all there milling around and um, as soon as she spoke, because we have watched like every episode of Duck Dynasty twice. And, um, and so we, I just, I mean, as soon as she spoke, I didn't have to see her face. It was just Miss K. And uh, here's what was funny is being with all the only ones in the store, it was like an, watching an episode of Duck Dynasty. It was hilarious. She goes and sits down in this chair and she tries to recline it. It's not supposed to recline. And she's trying to recline and her daughter-in-law goes over there trying to recline it. And I'm like, where are the cameras? Are they, they, revive, are they bringing this show back? I'm like, this lady is like trying to, trying to recline a chair that doesn't recline and then talking about, you know, a, a bunch of the, the pieces in the store. It was, it was hilarious. I'm like, no, this, this is how these people really are. That's why cameras followed them around. And, um, but as soon as we heard her voice, as soon as we heard her voice, that was it. It was completely recognizable. That is why when somebody says something to us and, and it hurts, we understand that those words came out of, their, of who they are as a person. But the truth is, is that on the other hand, when, 
when somebody speaks life into us, when somebody sees the God imprint that, that through, the, through the lens of the Holy Spirit and they speak to, to who we're really called to be, that makes a deposit in our life that the enemy cannot pull away. That all of a sudden when, when, when the image of God in us recognizes the image of God in someone else and speaks to that, the scriptures call it deep calling unto deep. It makes a deposit that cannot be easily taken away. Yes, wounds can come, but I'm telling you, places of encouragement, places of building up, places of calling one another higher can come as well. And that is what God has called us to. Here in 1 Timothy 4.12, says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The first example he encourages them to be is in the way you talk, in the way you talk. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, and in the love you have, we, we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Because see, our words, they can build up others and and they can point people to the love of God. First Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. We have to understand and remember that when all this was created, those of us who take the Bible seriously, we believe that God spoke it into existence. We go back to Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God said, let there be. And it was, words are powerful and they're creative. And in our fight of faith, we have to be aware of how we use them. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. See, I think one of the most tragic consequences of COVID is the distancing that we have had from one another. Because how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to build one another up and encourage one another if we're not actively involved in one another's lives? And I realize social media and being able to connect kind of fills the gaps on some of that and we can encourage from a distance. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like hearing it vocally spoken. There's nothing like it. Those sound waves sitting there and hitting your eardrums and, and there, God created us to be kinetic like that and to be, to be uh, impacted by those things. And we need to make sure we stay physically connected with one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It may be that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Verse 30, sandwiched in the middle, of how we deal with one another is this, is this phrase of do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, there are a lot of people who have taken that and, you know, tried to use grieving the Holy Spirit saying, well, you know, 
You know, how you use tobacco and you have to grieve in the Holy Spirit. And, the, you know, the length of your skirt is wrong and it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Your hairdo is messed up and it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Your makeup is all too much and it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, we don't have any scripture for all that. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? It's tearing one another down with our words. That's what this says. Look at the context. That is what grieves the Holy Spirit. When we're not mindful of the power of our words with one another, if we're not building one another up, it grieves the Holy Spirit. So as we move forward, part of fighting the good fight of faith is being mindful that our words make a difference. Our bottom line this morning is, is God's word in your mouth makes a difference in your life. God's word in your mouth. It makes a difference in your life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.